Support for this podcast and the following message come from Internet Essentials from Comcast. Connecting more than 6 million low-income people to low-cost, high-speed Internet at home. So students are ready for homework, class, graduation, and more. Now they're ready for anything. I'm Bob Boylan, and on today's All Songs Considered, we have a guest DJ with Lord Huron comes on the heels of their new album, Vide Noir, which comes out April 20th. I've been intrigued by the cinematic songs of Lord Huron for over the past half dozen years. And what began as a solo project by Ben Schneider back in 2010 is now a band selling out large music venues. What captured my imagination were the videos Ben would make for his early songs. They were filmed as old western tales for the album Lonesome Dreams in 2012 and then Strange Trails in 2015. Vid Noir is inspired by the imagery Ben Schneider would encounter during late night drives around LA. On this guest DJ edition, Ben Schneider selects music that clearly shows his interest in storytelling and film, from Bruce Springsteen's Nebraska to Link Ray's guitar song Rumble. The tone of the tunes he loved growing up are an insight into the music he and his band make. We start the conversation with a tune called Ancient Names, and I wondered how this song took shape, how he took the ideas in his head and presented it to his band. I mean, I generally write alone, so I come to the band with a you know, demo version of the record mm-hmm. at some point, or pieces of the record. And, you know, it's still a work in progress, like, uh, in terms of how we work. It changes every record, and we're kind of all sinking into it and work figuring out the best ways to do it. In this one, I had this fleshed out, this idea of this song that kind of takes you through a few different dimensions on its journey. You know, it starts one place, and then pretty quickly you're kind of slingshot into another place Mm -hmm. and another after that. Um, So I just came to them with that and said, here's here's sort of my rough version. What what ideas do you guys have to add? And, you know, the biggest thing that they always add is just musicianship which I don't necessarily have <laughs> certainly not on all the certainly not on all the instruments and uh they're all really talented so we've known each other for a very long time and we can be really honest with each other creatively we just kind of sit down and work through it are you trying to paint uh paint a picture for them or are are you playing on a tape or are you holding a guitar in your hand I generally play on a tape uh something I've recorded that little mellotron at the top was that something that was on your tape was that something someone added uh, that was something that was on my tape. I kind of wanted to take you through these different places, and that was the first place, which I kind of imagine as the entryway to a, a fortune teller's parlor. Um, <laughs> some, uh, you know, gauzy drapes and twinkling lights uh, and a neon sign. That's beautiful. And and then where did we go from, uh, from there? If I pull up this. Yeah. So this I always imagine as... Maybe, maybe right next to that fortune teller's parlor, or maybe in another part of town. Um, there's this this band who it's the end of the night, mm-hmm. and they're trying something new. Uh, they're opening up some new some new kinds of music, and maybe maybe tapping into something else, dark and interdimensional, at the same time. you kind of feel that this sound for you guys was different at all? In some respects, yeah. We have this thing where we really just try to be conscious of just following what we're interested in. And 
Uh, and that way it feels like it feels as natural as stuff we've done before where it just felt like the, the kind of stuff we wanted to play mm-hmm. um, but yeah you know we definitely realized that hopefully we're doing something new and you know keeping people interested in what we're doing and always uh, the way at least for me be- besides the music the way you keep me interested is in the stories that you tell mm-hmm. and that it goes to a long way into what we'll do today in this guest DJ is just try to look at things in music that has interested you, the atmospherically storytelling, picture painting kind of stuff. And you grew up in a house. Both your parents are journalists. So how did that tweak or pique your interests? No, it was interesting. They they both had a real interest in music. And I think maybe being journalists, they had friends who were able to get them into concerts and things. And uh, you know, we had pictures of Springsteen on the wall that my dad's photojournalist friend had taken at a show in Detroit. And oh wow, you know, they were they were big fans. My oh. mom particularly was a huge fan of Springsteen. At and, what uh, age were you seeing these photographs of Springsteen? Like six or seven? Or yeah, or? I mean, as early as I can wow. remember. Oh wow, those, those photos were up, and and the records were playing in the house too. You know, that's some of the earliest stuff I remember hearing: Bob Dylan and Bruce Springsteen. You know, Nebraska was always the the one that I remember sort of. Ha- thinking about first just because i knew something i felt like something kind of spooky was going on with that record mm-hmm. and it really interested me even from a from a really young age we talked about that record a lot too at, at the house because the title track is uh based on a, a killing spree the two teenagers in the 50s and the 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 young woman who was 14 at the time once she got out of prison she settled in my hometown oh wow so yeah. we're talking about uh, the album Nebraska. We're talking about the song Nebraska, and then uh, other songs referenced that. The, uh, was it State Trooper that did? Yeah. So this this woman Caroline Fugit, she lived 20 minutes from my my house growing up, and my dad, who was just a fan of the album and you know interested in the the story behind it, he was always trying to land an interview with this woman, but she wouldn't talk to anybody, understandably so. So. You know, he never was able to sit down with her. She died a few years back. But I just remember my whole life that would come up at some point. You know, I'm trying to get. You know, I think he got her. I think he got her on the phone once. But um, yeah, he just never could quite make that happen. If I played State Trooper, would that bring back some memories? <laughs> yeah, definitely would. <laughs> All right, let's do a little bit of that. New Jersey Turnpike, riding on a wet night, out where the great black rivers pull License registration I ain't got none But I got a clear conscience About the things that I Mr. State Trooper Please don't stop me
still listen to Springsteen? I do, yeah, especially that record. That's one that's just kind of stuck with me. Um, I think another reason is that when I found out how it was recorded, uh, it made it made recording seem very much within my reach. And, you know, I remember getting a, a similar tape machine to use to record that, and that was my first recording rig. We're talking about uh, a Tascam. Uh, mm-hmm. it's a port- they call them Porta Studios. They're usually four-track cassette machines. And here's a here's a guy that sold a, kind of a gazillion records and was doing what you were discussing earlier, which is making demos, mm-hmm. probably for his band. But in this case, he decided the demos was the right way to go and released this album, Nebraska. Just him and guitar, a bunch of little instruments too, harmonica, glockenspiel, maybe uh, a few other things. But how old were you when you heard this? Hard to say when the first time was. I remember, I remember starting to get interested in it, you know, around 10 or 11 mm-hmm. was when I sort of started thinking about it a little bit and remember my dad talking about it. Were you picking up an instrument yet? Yeah, my dad had a guitar around oh. and uh, I played that. I was left-handed, or I am left-handed. Yeah. Still haven't <laughs> lost that. <laughs> but uh, the guitar was right-handed, so I've, I've learned to play guitar as a right-handed person. But I think I would be better if I had learned the other way. So I always kind of wondered about that. But around the same time, I started playing uh, bass in the orchestra as well. Mm-hmm. So that was my first formal instrument, was taking lessons on the upright bass. And there was a lot of, in well, in that song in particular, there, there's guitar as both bass and rhythm mm-hmm. and the underpinnings. Mm-hmm. But, but then there's the storytelling. Did you ever talk to your folks about what's going on in that record since they played that around the house? Yeah, especially in that, that title track, Nebraska, uh, you know, the lyrics are somewhat, simple to follow so i think from for a young person you know i could pick out a lot of what was happening in there you know talking about getting strapped into the electric chair and things like mm-hmm. that it's pretty easy to understand what's happening but again i remember bringing that up specifically with my my dad and hearing sort of the backstory what that was about and just finding it fascinating you know i got into that story and found out that it you know not only bruce springsteen but it had inspired a lot of other artwork movies and other music and all kinds of stuff. It's kind of dark, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, I guess, you know, 11-year-old boys are attracted to dark things sometimes. And so where did it take you? Movie watching? Yeah. Uh, well, I guess the big, the easiest through line from there is uh, Badlands, which is an earlier 1973, I think, movie, Terrence Malick movie, which is pretty closely based on that killing spree story it's different names and put it in a different state but it's kind of trying to tell that story and this killing spree story is, is uh is this we i don't know that we clarified that at the top there but it's uh, uh it is charles starkweather who was 18 at the time and carol ann fugit who was 14 i think and they it was in i think 57 and 58 the winter over those two years and killed 11 people they were teenagers yeah they were teenagers i mean it's a really wild story you know young crazy love and you know that's been the basis for you know, not only badlands but natural born killers um true romance all these other movies you know because it's a really interesting story it's funny how uh like for me i i can't watch any of that stuff in fact i don't really? even watch movies any, at all at all anymore yeah wow so i just stopped because i can't deal with the violence uh, yeah. uh, and then other people are completely fascinated. And I understand the fascination, but I, I find it uh, it repels me and run, makes me I run can the understand other way. That. I can understand that. Um, so w- one thing about, about seeing movies, for sure, is you begin to hear music you've never heard before. And 
And music and picture are some of the most powerful things, as you certainly know. Do you remember the first films you started to see and, and movie and interaction, film music, and, and the way they work together in storytelling? I think I was pretty struck by that from, you know, the earliest, earliest things I saw, you know, even cartoons and stuff, just the way music could punctuate a, a moment, you know, in a, in a Bugs Bunny cartoon or something. But, you know, I remember seeing uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, <laughs> yes, and yeah. uh, that Danny Elfman score is pretty memorable. It, it absolutely was. And it's got a lot of vibe. Um, the, uh, the movie obviously does too and, and you know it's one of those things where yeah you just it's amazing what how music can color a story and it kind of works the other way too which is interesting sometimes a, a movie can color the way you think of a song that you maybe knew before or maybe you never knew it before but you always think of it a certain way because it's from a movie can you think about some uh, movie music that uh, you want to bring to the table here Pulp Fiction for me was the first you know it sounds like I'm obsessed with violence now mm -hmm. that I'm thinking about this yeah. but and I think <laughs> You know, I want to sit back. We'll talk about. That. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I could probably use some help with that. I mean, I'm certainly not a violent person. I think what right. it is is just seeing people in those extreme circumstances has always been fascinating to me. Mm -hmm. But I just I, that movie I saw really young. My I had an older brother. He's kind of been my my source for music and and everything cultural since I was young, aside from my parents. What's, uh, what's the age difference between you and your brother? He's three and a half years older. Yeah, that's perfect. So you you can, at 11 or something, be going to stuff you probably shouldn't be going to. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and somehow he got a hold of a bootleg VHS copy of Pulp Fiction. Mm -hmm. I think it was still in theaters, which I don't know how he <laughs> got a hold of that. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, the, for one thing, the, the content in the movie was pretty shocking to me, but the music... I don't think there's any score commissioned for that movie at all, so it's all just songs. A lot of it I didn't know. So it felt to me like that music just existed only in the, that world of that movie. Its whole purpose was just to help tell this story, and I was just blown away. I remember ta tape recording it from the VHS, you know, because I, I wanted the music so bad. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that's music I still listen to, some of that stuff. It got me into so many different genres. And w Was this in uh, that movie? Yes, it was. Want to introduce this tune and we'll play a little? Yeah, sure. This is uh, Link Ray's Rumble. song is 60 years old what Six a tune zero. <laughs> what a tune man i mean you can't really top that the swagger and that oh, yeah wait God. i know Whew, chills did you ever get to see him perform this live no oh, geez yeah. that sounds like an amazing thing it is um, uh so 
here comes it. I don't know where in Pulp Fiction and how this plays out in Pulp, Fi- Pulp Fiction, this song, but uh, do you, do you, can you describe a scene? There's a scene where John Travolta has just, <laughs> sounds so seedy, he's just uh, shot heroin and he's just cruising around in his car. When I first saw it, I understood what he had done, yeah. what, that there was right. drugs involved, but I just remember seeing him behind the wheel of this cool old car cruising with the, in L.A. with the, the wind in his hair uh, at night. You know, and I was just, what a vibe. And and that's a great example of a song that doesn't have any lyrics, but it seems to tell a story to me. Like, even aside from the movie, like, the name Rumble and just this swagger and this these sounds that are coming out of this guitar, I mean, that's a story. Yeah, there was always something impending. Mm-hmm. I mean, this predates synthesizers, or at least synthesizers um, in pop music by a, a long way. Mm-hmm. Uh, such cool texture. Yeah, and the so tremolo. Forth. It's beautiful. Uh, how about if I play this and you tell me a story? Does this sound familiar, or am I playing something you don't know? <laughs> no, it sounds familiar. <laughs> This would be the, uh, the True Romance soundtrack, um, which is based on the Badlands soundtrack, which is a piece of this beautiful old marimba piece um, written in the 20s, I think, by this guy Carl Orff. And it was actually written as like an educational tune for school school children. Right? Yeah, it's like uh, you know to practice intervals or something. Oh my Super God, simple music, but. Um, just, you know, I don't know if it was Terrence Malick who came up with the idea of using it in that movie, but it's so perfectly placed because it's this amazing tune, amazing piece of music, but it's so child, you know, it's so childlike, and I think that spoke really well to these young, these young people in this movie doing these terrible things, and just, uh, that could, that's some pretty heavy subject matter, but it's so well balanced by this beautiful and sort of innocent sounding piece of music. Yeah, that this is where, uh, the tendency to uh, lots and lots and lots of movie music is is uh, if it's <laughs> I used to do work in video and stuff and and uh, and I had this fellow who was I think he was Czechoslovakian and we were working on a documentary together. I was the editor and so forth, and he he said to me, uh, Americans see screw say screw in other words if you're gonna make a <laughs> film or something yeah. and you say the word screw well then you're gonna show a screw right. On, right, right. On, the, on the screen and, and that's the literal thing that we often do with music which is that if it's if there's this horrifying scene uh well then you're gonna play this music that has this horrifying tension in it and so forth but one of the beauties and it sounds like you're describing this and and how this music is moved is used is is the contrast mm-hmm. like when you have contrast like wow what that does it's you, amazing yeah, yeah. your brain just is wanting to do try to put these things together and i think in the working and trying to make all that work in, internally uh makes it more memorable mm-hmm. that's a very cool piece of music this is uh there was something uh th- this is the um i guess uh, gaussenhauer or street song i think this was yes, this is the so this is the original version from Badlands. Huh. 
which is even simpler yeah. and to my ear even more even more beautiful uh-huh. yeah yeah i like this music so much um that i had a I had the band at my wedding play this. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> on what instrumentation? Uh, on the marimba, marimba and snare drum, just like it's just like it is here. <laughs> it was great. We found some some youngsters from Lansing who who came up and, and played it. It was it was excellent. <laughs> so you've described three different, very different scenes that this, that this music worked. <laughs> well in uh-huh huh it's pretty versatile isn't it yeah i think anybody who works in music i used to write music for uh experimental theater and stuff and and uh, and it was my first experience writing music and then all of a sudden it was part of a theatrical mm-hmm. scene with you know hundreds of slides dissolving and so forth in a black box theater and and what it did to the music I wrote was it just blew me away. In fact, mm-hmm. I was just the other day describing to Robin Hilton about the first time I ever put on Walkman headphones on headphones. So you're not home sitting in a living room listening to music in really good quality, but all of a sudden you're out of doors. And I was driving on the New Jersey Turnpike when somebody put Philip Glass in my ears, uh, uh, headphones on my head while I'm driving, looking at uh, New York City and how everything just changes Mm, yeah i love purposely planning moments in my life that i know are going to be uh somehow unique or somehow memorable like where i'm going to be in a new place for a a period of time and specifically bringing a new record to listen to then something i I haven't ever spent time with because it'll so forever be tied to that moment Mm. in time and i love that feeling where it's just like this is the soundtrack this is the soundtrack of this story this chunk of my life well, I want to do that with this song here, which is um, Wait by the River. got such a vibe i just love that <laughs> thank you thank you yeah, and, and in this case it's a uh there's a very early 60s uh mm-hmm. vibe 
to it. Not too f- distant from Link Ray in many ways. Is there a story you're trying to uh, unfold and tell that ties it all together? Obviously, each song has story to it. The way I kind of conceived it was a sort of a nocturnal journey through through the city, where you you kind of encounter these different different stories along the way. And part of the way I kind of thought about it was you wander into these different clubs that have different styles of music or different types of people inhabiting them. So there's sort of a through line in terms of the story. Like I think the way it begins and ends are kind of the the two ends of that person's journey. But along the way, we kind of take all these twists and turns and wander through portals to other other places and stuff. When you say the way it begins and ends. Yeah, um, you know, the two stories that kind of bookend the record, the way it begins and the way it ends, I think tie together pretty clearly in terms of the... uh, the lyrics you know you kind of start with this person who's on a journey looking for something mm-hmm. and you end with uh, well i don't want to spoil the ending but <laughs> whether they find it or not uh and the the complications of that outcome that's awesome do you remember listening to albums that felt like it had that kind of through line yeah i mean a lot of bob dylan stuff you know i, m- I remember taking those drives to my bass lessons uh before i could drive myself i think the only tape my dad had was blood on the tracks <laughs> And, you know, I was in a punk band and stuff at the time, so I don't know what my feelings were on it. But I definitely was drawn to the just the stories. Like, it was hard not to get sucked into those. I was just amazed how much he could convey in a five-minute song, with which might not even have a chorus. <laughs> the imagery was just... I remember trying to get... Struggling through my bass lessons and just having those images stuck in my head, you know, from Tangled Up in Blue. Or at some point, we switched to Desire and uh, just listening to Isis. That song oh, is... Yeah. A song I mean, without a, speaking, no choruses. Yeah, right? yeah. So, song and plenty of verses. <laughs> plenty of plenty of verses. Um, but just what a strange bit of imagery. And, you know, you've got a love story in there. You've got this other story about treasure hunting. Um, it's just incredible. darkness and light The fighting line ran through the center of town I hitched up my pony to a post on the right Ran to the laundry to wash my clothes down A man in the corner approached me for a match I knew right away he was not ordinary Something easy to catch Said I got no money Said that ain't necessary There's a later a treasure, a tomb, nothing yeah. in the tomb. I mean, it goes Pyramids off. covered in <laughs> ice. Exactly right. uh, I mean, it's just so cool where it goes. And it feels natural, and that tambourine is so damn loud. I love it. <laughs> I think most people would say it's too loud, but 
I think I heard, I don't know if it's apocryphal, but I think I heard Bob Dylan say, if nothing's wrong, it can't be right. <laughs> Which I think is a good, pretty good lesson to us all. Yeah. And no one else made the tambourine more famous than <laughs> the tambourine man himself, That's true, right? the tambourine man himself. <laughs> uh, let's walk something more contemporary, or at least uh, maybe something that uh, you were a little older and, and mm-hmm. heard lots of atmosphere in. or Yeah. Well, I I was lucky. I mean, I, I definitely bought records on my own but when I was young, but not that often because my brother had this amazing thing we probably all remember called Columbia House. Oh, yeah. I, which was like a subscription <laughs> CD service. Right. I think it was a scam, but I didn't care because my brother had so many CDs. He just got everything. And, you know, maybe around 94, he got started getting really into Wu-Tang Clan. That was kind of their golden age, 93 to... 97 when you know not only the the group albums but all the solo albums too which were to me groundbreaking just because i didn't know what this world was that they were apparently living in it was hip-hop it was kung fu it was drugs it was violence i don't know what it was but it was impressive to me and just the vibe on those records was was undeniable and the sound it wasn't it's not bass guitar and drums it's like percussion could be gunshots or it could or be just clanging swords clang, or yeah, kicks right, yeah right. and uh, you know they sampled all these old kung fu movies and i right. remember first putting on uh the jizz's liquid swords and like that opening of some i don't know what it's from but some sample really sets the mood and then this heavy beat comes in and it's like what is this world it's so cool i have something else queued up let's see if this works very cool yeah Smoking Joe Fraser, the hell raiser, raising hell with the flavor. Terrorize the jam like troops in Pakistan. Swinging through your town like your neighborhood Spider-Man. So all tick-tock and keep ticking. When I get you flipping off the shit, I'm kicking. The Lone Ranger, co-ed, danger. Deep in the dark with the art to rip the charts apart. The vandal, too hot to handle your battle. He's saying goodbye like Devin Campbell. Rock neck, Inspector Dex on the set. The rebel, I make more noise than heavy metal. The way I make the crowd go wild. Sit back, relax, Smile. Ray got it going on, pal. Call me the rap assassinator. Rhymes rugged and built like Schwarzenegger. And I'ma get mad deep like a threat. Blow up your project, then take all your assets. Cause I came to shake the frame in half with the thoughts that bomb. Shit like math. So if you wanna try to flip, yo, flip on the next man. Cause I'll grab the clip and hit you with 16 shots and more I got. Going to war with the melting pot. It's the method man for short, Mr. Map. Move it on your left. Ah. And set it off, get it off, let it off like a gat. I wanna break food, cop me back. Small change, they putting shame in the game. I take game and blow the nigga out the frame. And like bang, my fella live forever. Niggas crossing over like they So there's a different connection here between uh, movies and music, right? Because they're. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're, it's they're the opposite, kinda, right? Yeah, it's kind of the opposite where they let Matt color their music and. And yeah, there's, it wasn't like I could quite identify any real specific story in it. It was this more fragmentary thing, I guess world building is what you'd call it, where these bits and pieces and fragments of this world and my imagination was able to kind of fill in the rest. And I think that was sort of an important lesson too, just seeing that you don't need to show everything. You can show bits and pieces and in some ways mm-hmm. 
create something even more uh, rich that way. Uh, it's just fascinating. I mean, like I said, I just couldn't get my hand, get a handle on what this world was, and I, I was really drawn to that. I guess maybe a song like like Vide Noir, I guess just coming out of Wu-Tang, I, th I think I was thinking of them a lot when I was writing that song. And Vide Noir, the album title means? Uh, Black Void. And what does that conjure to you? Is it just the possibilities? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. It can conjure everything because it is nothing. Uh, um, it's like I was talking about before, how I imagine this album to be this sort of journey through the city. Uh -huh. That's kind of how I imagine the city sometimes. It's like it's this thing you can get sucked into and sort of forever lost, but maybe there's something kind of beautiful about it too and kind of giving yourself over to the, to the void. And, you know, I think a lot of the record deals with just kind of facing the realities of the universe, and I think that's staring into the void. One more before we head out here, something that is current, current, that you listen to, that you find that, that feeling in. Yeah, we recently uh, did a tour in Europe, and like I was saying before, I like to kind of, if I'm going someplace where I know I'll be sort of occupy a certain place in my memory, I like to dig into a new record so I can kind of listen to it clean and have it always associated with this period. And uh, someone had recommended King Cruel's latest record, The Ooze. Uh, mm. You know, I, I knew a few tracks from him and from his other monikers, but uh, it felt like the right time to do it, being that he's from the UK and I was going to be there. Before sound checks, I would just, and after sound checks, I would just kind of walk around these cities and listen to this record, and it really feels like it has a, a really strong sort of world that it's that it's created. And again, not necessarily a linear story, mm -hmm. although pieces of it I do feel are connected, uh, but this fragmentary world um, that feels really rich and, and beautiful. Well, let's go out on, uh, from the use, let's go out on, on Dumb Surfer. He came here recently, Archie did, and, and they did a Tiny Desk concert, and it just completely changed the office <laughs> and the atmosphere. <laughs> <That's great. laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. Thanks for doing this. And, it's and my your, pleasure. Yeah, and your record comes out on 420. That is that a coincidence of sorts? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I think so. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be well. Thanks so much. Thanks, I look Bob. Look forward good. to seeing you in DC. Yeah, man. Good talking to you. All right. Cheers. Bye, bye. Bye. Ben Schneider, Lord Huron. The new album Vide Noir is out April 20th. I'm Bob Boylan for NPR Music. It's all songs considered.
Thanks for listening. Check out all of NPR's podcasts at npr.org slash podcasts, including eight of the country's top 20 podcasts, according to PodTrack's podcast metrics. That's npr.org slash podcasts.